Good morning. What a beautiful, beautiful day it is out there. You never can tell this time of year. It could be 10 below or it could be 80. We're blessed here to have that uh, beautiful range of weather that we can enjoy. But it's certainly beautiful out there today. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your participation. Thank you for being here in an effort to glorify God, to worship Him through His Son and our Savior, and to be there for each other. We appreciate your presence very much. As Ian said, we've, this month we've decided to look at Christ as being our everything. And Nathan started out a couple of weeks ago with the first part of this as Christ as God among us. Emmanuel talked about the Old Testament prophecies against impossible, absurd odds. Christ fulfilled every one of those. And only he is worthy because he is God among us. And Justin last week talked, excuse me, John last week. Never confuse what I say with what I mean. John last week talked about Christ our Redeemer. He alone was capable of paying the ransom for us. So Christ is our everything, not a hyperbole, not an exaggeration, not an overstatement. He is absolutely our everything. And that those blessings available to us through him are unfathomable. As I was studying for this, I ran across uh, an account of two men who were visiting, just talking religious questions. And the non-Christian asked the Christian, made the statement. He said, as Christians, your arithmetic is all wrong. It's terrible. How can one man's atoning sacrifice cover the sins of millions and millions of people? How is that possible? The arithmetic, the math just doesn't add up. The Christian said, absolutely, you're right. It's not possible for one person to atone in some way for even his own sins, let alone the sins of every man, woman, and child who ever lived. But where you make your mistake, sir, is by assuming that Christ was a mere man, that Christ lived a mere life, that he died a mere death. He was and is the Son of God. God manifested Him to us in the flesh. And His perfect sinless life and His holy atoning sacrifice was more than sufficient to cover the sins of every man, woman, and child who ever lived. The unbeliever was left speechless, reasonably so. But that's what we're talking about this month. Christ is our everything. And all the blessings that we have because of that, of him being God among us, of him being our redeemer. He alone could pay the ransom for us. So today, we want to take the third step in that, the third set of blessings, Christ our advocate. A little different, a little different, but the Bible is very clear. Another one of the blessings we enjoy is Christ our advocate, the only ad advocate. Advocate means Activist, activist, someone who's actively defending us, who's actively campaigning for us, sponsoring us, supporting us. What a blessing that is. 
because we've got problems and we desperately need that. We desperately need that. So why? Why? Why do we need an advocate? Well, we know why. It's sin. We understand that. Sin. Romans 1, excuse me, Romans 5 and verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, speaking to this unbeliever's question, and death through sin. See, sin doesn't come alone. It brings misery and pain and suffering and death. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus dead death spread to all men because all sinned. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. The earnings that we make, the sentence that we deserve for sin is death, and we've all sinned. So sin's a problem. Why do we need an advocate? Because of sin. We also have some more problems associated with sin. We also have an enemy. We have an accuser, mortal enemy, who's campaigning against us, who's tempting us. Revelations 12th chapter and verse 10. The Bible says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. I know it's figurative language, but it's very specific too. It's very detailed to let us know we have someone actively seeking our ill. On down to verse 17, that same chapter, the Bible says, And the dragon was enraged with the woman. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. We have someone who's actively seeking our demise in a very familiar passage there, 1 Peter 5 and 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, mortal enemy, the devil, is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now this devourer too sometimes we overlook is not simply eating because you're hungry. We have a mortal enemy who's actively seeking day and night, continually hurling accusations against us before the throne of God, and he wants to consume us, not because he's hungry. We can, he can never fill that appetite, but because he wants to hurt us, and he wants to hurt God by hurting us, and hoping that by devouring us, consuming us, that that will hurt us, that that will hurt God. So the sin doesn't come alone. It brings terrible things with it. Another reason we need an advocate, let me read one more passage of Scripture right quick. Ephesians 6 and 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. We also desperately need an advocate because of sin because we have an active enemy who's working against us, but also because sadly, some of the accusations made against us are true. Sadly, that's the case. Sadly, we do stub our toe. In spite of our best efforts, in, in spite of our desires not to. Now we pick ourselves and up and dust ourselves off and get back in there. But unfortunately, some of the accusations that Satan makes against us are true. Romans 3 and 23, also a familiar passage of Scripture, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's interesting, though, that some translations 
translate this, for all have sinned and, and continue to fall short of the glory of God. Familiar passage, but we don't often consider it in that context. For all have sinned is past tense. Fall short is present tense. Explaining that we, do, we have all sinned and we do continue to fall short. Also familiar passage of Scripture. Isaiah 64 and 6, But we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness is as filthy rags. Our best effort before God. The greatest things we can do. The most kind, sacrificing things we can do fall far short. We desperately need an advocate. Because of sin, because of the accusations, true and untrue, hurled against us. And unfortunately, some of those are true. And also because God is a righteous God. And he has to punish evil. He has to, we desperately need an, an advocate. Someone to speak for us. Someone who understands. Someone who cares about us. Truly cares about us. Why Jesus? Why? Hebrews 4 talks about some of this. Hebrews 4, starting here in verse 13, the writer says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes, open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We are guilty. We do stub our toe, and God knows. Don't have to depend on the accusations of Satan or man or whoever it might be. God knows. Verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest. This advocate is our high priest, and he's no normal high priest as under the old law, but a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How comforting is that? Christ is there for us. You ever thought about, well, but Christ is the Son of God. I don't know how he could possibly be tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. How's that possible? He's the Son of God. How's that possible? You ever looked at just a few of the things that he endured? He started out by leaving heaven, knowing he was going to have to endure what all he endured. But I've wrote down a few things, listed a few things. After he got here, then he was conceived without his parents being, being married. So he was considered to be illegitimate. What a stigma is associated with that. Then he grew up in a place called Nazareth. And I don't know what the problem was with Nazareth, but even Nathaniel said in John 1, he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He was not exactly royalty as far as mankind. He wasn't raised by the most affluent family. He, wasn't, he didn't benefit from every convenience, every advantage that you would think the Son of God would, would benefit from. He had no home, no comforts, conveniences, no place to call his home. No, even he said the birds have a place to lay their heads. He had nothing. He had nothing. Have we ever been in those situations? Let alone all three. Being despised, absolutely despised by, 
by people that he was trying to save, people he cared dearly about. He was despised. Went without food and water at one point for 40 days and 40 nights before he was tempted of the devil, before he was taken out and tempted with food and drink beyond anything we can imagine, and then took him up on a high hill and offered him everything, honor, power, prestige, property. After he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, stomach distended, all the things that accompany severe dehydration, severe hunger. Imagine, have we ever been in any of these situations? Then he was betrayed by one of his best friends for a few pieces of silver. We're not talking about riches. We're not talking about a huge sum of money. Apparently 30 pieces of silver, from what I could find out, is equivalent to three or maybe four months' wages. Turned him over to die. Then he was abandoned by all of his friends. All of his friends left him. He still found innocent. Mock of a trial that it was, he was still found innocent. And he was given the choice, you can release him. They said, no, give us Barabbas. Give us a thief. And, and the thief in, in the definition they used back then was a horrific person. Possible murderer, any number of things, released him in place of Jesus. Said, crucify him, crucify him. He, beaten, beyond recognition, whipped, scourged unrecognizable, mocked, abused, spit on, then nailed to the cross and died a slow, agonizing death between two thieves. Look down the list. Have we, is there a couple of these we could check off, let alone three or four? Was in all points tempted like as we are, endured all things so he could advocate, so he could speak with us. He knows us. He knows how difficult it is, and he can speak for us. He understands. Hebrews 2, the writer puts it this way. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, that's Jesus, likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels. But he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. See, nowhere in creation is there such a thing as mercy. Nowhere. Not even to the angels. When they sinned, when they rebelled against God, the, the next verse tells us they were cast out of heaven. There was no offer of pardon, no day of grace for the angels, for anyone in nature, anyone in creation, except except for mankind, except for his children. Continuing on, verse 17, Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. In things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, he was the Redeemer. Only he had sufficient capital to redeem us, to pay the ransom that was due. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. He understands, brothers and sisters. No one else could. No one else understands where we're at. I don't understand your problems. You don't understand mine. Can't be expected to. We can sympathize. We can can relate to that as much as we can. But we're limited on what we can do in spite of our best efforts. Christ is not. Christ is not. Only Christ has earned the right to intercede for us. 
before the throne of God. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. John 14 and 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He alone has earned the right. He alone has the authority to do that. 1 John 2 and verse 1, John writing to Christians. He's not writing to people outside the church. He's not writing to pagans or even Jews at that time unless they had been converted to Christianity. He's writing to Christians, and he said, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Christians, don't sin. If anyone sins, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. See, we receive remission of our sins when we're baptized, but we need that to continue, don't we? We need that to continue. Verse 2, and he himself is the propitiation, the atoning victim for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. That's how we continue to walk in the Spirit. That's how we continue to walk with him. That's how we continue to have him as our advocate, as our high priest. Verse 4, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this, we know that we are in him. Hebrews 7, Paul says, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. That surety is a guarantee, a guarantor, a person who guarantees a surety better covenant. How is that? Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from coming. The high priest died under the law of Moses. One died and the next one would carry on. And he wasn't exactly for sure how to make those sacrifices. If he hadn't, he had never been in the Holy of Holy before. Only the high priest did that. Sprinkled seven times sprinkled the blood on the Ark of the Covenant seven times for his family, seven times for himself, and then seven times for the sins of the people. Did he? Every high priest did it slightly different. It was a continual, it wasn't exactly the same. It changed just a little bit from high priest to high priest, and sometimes it changed drastically. Many high priests, because they were prevented from death, prevented by death from continuing. But he, that's Christ, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession. Hallelujah. Praise God. Always lives to help us, to be there for us, to understand what we're going through. So how do we do that? How do we we, uh, take advantage of that offer? of grace, unmerited, undeserved as it is. That offer of grace that allows us to have Christ as our high priest, as our advocate, as our representation before the the great white throne of God. How do we enjoy that blessing? Romans 8 chapter, appreciated the reading of the morning. Thank you for that, Nathan. We're going to read several verses here in Romans 8. We won't read the whole chapter. There's quite a few, but we want to read a few If you get a chance to study this particular passage in this context of Christ as our advocate, 
Paul said in verse 1, he said, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We understand in Christ Jesus. Romans 6 and 3, same writer, a few verses, a few chapters earlier. In Christ Jesus, no, you're not so many of us as were baptized into Christ. We're baptized into his death. That's Romans 6 and 3. So we know how we come to the point where we are regarded as being in Christ Jesus. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, first part. Second part, he said, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Continuing on with Christ. Continue to walk with Him in the Spirit, in the light. Verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You often hear it. We don't live under a law now. We live under grace. That's not what it says. There are things that we're expected to do. There are conditions for this grace. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. That was the old law. Verse 3, for what the law, that's the old law, could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. It wasn't weak. We're weak. We couldn't keep the law. But it illustrated to us that we couldn't keep it and we desperately need a savior, an advocate, a high priest forever, not a temporary high priest. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh like us. Christ's flesh was not sinful, but he was subject to the same temptations in the flesh that we have in the likeness of, of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The righteous requirement of the law is God is required as a righteous judge, perfectly righteous judge, to punish sin. And we know the sentence is death. And as a righteous judge, he has to make that call. But he allowed Christ's death his suffering to take our place. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the thing of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity with God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So those who in the flesh, so those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. We know in Acts 2.38, when we're baptized, we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ. But Father, Son, and Spirit, we also have an advocate, the Holy Spirit of God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Synonymous, Holy Spirit, Spirit of Christ. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are all one. We have the benefit of not just one advocate, but two. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. 
But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, that's the Holy Spirit, dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Speaking of the Holy Spirit there. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, the, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. We have two. Christ told his disciples, John 14, 16, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. That's also the same word translated First John, we read earlier as advocate, King James comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Christ sent his Holy Spirit. We have access to that through that beautiful book, through the Bible. Comforter, parakletos, in the Greek, Strong's is number 38, 75. It means advocate, means helper, defender, intercessor, comforter. John's the only person who ever used it in the New Testament. He used it in the gospel here and in 1 John that we read earlier, saying we have an advocate with the Father. But we don't have just one. We have two, the Spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Reading on here in Romans 8, a few verses later, verse 26, the Bible says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we did not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. That's the Holy Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. On down to verse 31, this was the part that was read this morning. What shall we say to these things? Everything we've talked about today, what do we say? What's the conclusion of all of this? If God's for us, who can be against us? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He who did not spare his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how can he not with him also freely give us all things? Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? The question we raised from the beginning. We have accusers. Who's going to accuse us? Man? Satan? We know that they're going to try. Who's going to do that? He said, it's God who justifies. It's God who pronounces innocence. And God's the one helping us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God's the one advocating for us. God's the one interceding for us. He's the one encouraging us, comforting us. Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justified. Verse 34, who's going to condemn? We're worthy of condemnation. We're worthy of having a charge brought against us. But who's going to condemn us? It's Christ who died. And furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Amazing blessings in Christ. Who shall separate us? From the love of Christ shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril or sword, all the list of things that Jesus endured pales in comparison. There's no way we could even have a clue of what it's like to endure that. Was he tempted in all those things? Absolutely. All points tempted, like as we are. As it is written, for your sake we're killed all the day long. 
We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Pardon me. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things, uh, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We have help we don't even know we have. God designed this with every possible contingency from the beginning of the world. God among us. God, our Redeemer. No one else has the authority. No one else has earned the right. No one else has paid the ransom. No one else continues forever. And no one loves us enough to do what Christ and God and His Holy Spirit do for us. God among us. Redeemer, High Priest, Advocate, Comforter, Savior. Truly our everything. Have you benefited from that this morning? Are you a child of God? Do you understand the blessings that are available to you? Do you want that? Do you seek after that in some way? We have water. We have clothing. All the things necessary, we'd love to assist you with that. And if you, but if you have something between you and your God, and you would return to the shepherd and bishop of your souls this morning, you would ask for the prayers of the church for any reason, strength, courage, healing, anything we can do to assist you. If there's a gospel subject, please come forward and allow us to serve you this morning as we stand and as we sing.